0: Welcome to the Naked Innovation Podcast, where we feature leaders in enterprise innovation for honest discussions about what works, what doesn't, and what the future looks like. Each episode is brought to you by the team at Naked Ambition. At Naked Ambition, we teach the habits of innovation to corporate mavericks so they can lead their company into new territory.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Naked Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Fiona Triaka, the founder of Naked Ambition. I'm really thrilled today to be chatting with Olga Suesta. Olga is currently the Head of Customer Experience and Design at Medibank, which is a position that she's held since April 2017. Prior to this role, she was the Human-Centered Design Practice Manager at NAB Labs. She has one of the most impressive and inspiring lists of qualifications that I have ever read, which include an MBA from the London Business School, a degree from London School of Economics and Political Science. She's an NLP practitioner an agile scrum master. She studied design thinking for innovation at the University of Virginia. So it clearly demonstrates not just her love of learning, but also her love of people and what makes them work. And also looking at what other people have said or listening and talking to people who've worked next to Olga within her team and on the client side. This is something that really comes through. So I hope you enjoy this conversation about current and future innovation at Medibank with Olga and also the state of play in other organisations as well. So, yes,
0: welcome, Olga, to the Naked Innovation podcast. It's so wonderful to have you here um, and such a treat. As I mentioned in the introduction, you have had an incredible career in human-centred design but also in innovation and I think what really struck me is as well as the really impressive and inspiring list of qualifications you've got from MBA to mm-hmm. neurolinguistic programming. I think all of this really demonstrates that not just your love of learning, but also your love of people and the way that they work. So, Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to have you on here from that angle. You really bring the human side of (laughs) human-centred design, (laughs) which is great. So, yeah, welcome. And first question is, you know, just we'd love to hear a little bit about what you're currently doing in your role as Head of Customer Experience and Design at Medibank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your role there and what you're driving at the moment?
2: Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me here. First of all, it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege. Medibank. So I've only been there a short while. It's been six months. So we are at the very beginning. And um, the company has changed direction since Craig came in as a CEO. And the first thing that I was entrusted to do was to actually build a team. And um, the previous design team had dismantled and they have all either left or moved on to different careers. So it was about putting a team together that will hold the practice for design thinking, innovation, and human-centered design, but with them overview of the customer and our members at the first and beginning of everything. So we have started that path, and um, we have started to build a small team. We pretty much set up to fulfill the demands of the organization. So where other organizations, and previously when I was working in Labs, it was about coming up with ideas that then you flourish and take from design into implementation. In Medibank, it's about helping the business becoming more centric in our members. The organization is also changing and shifting from being a health insurer, to be a partner in health, mm-hmm. which I think is beautiful, but we're still all discovering how to materialize that, how to make it tangible for our members. So that's a big initiative. More specifically into some of the projects that we work in, we're working in a massive project in loyalty. And one of the main... Um, Issues or pain points that our customers have, and I think it's not just for MediBank; it's just health insurance in general. Is to see the value offset every month. Mm. So we want to find how to make our customers feel value, and how to bring the value really tangibly for our members. We're also going through a retail transformation in which we have to incorporate that vision of partnering in health. So how do we take our retail branches from transactional into more relational, Mm. where conversations really, truly flourish? And I think it is really important, and one of the things that Medibank has, is that strong presence in retail, because we feel that when it comes to your health, it is actually important to have somebody that you can look in the eye mm-hmm. and actually feel that they understand what is going on in mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Whether it is your personal health or is somebody that you love, somebody close, a family member, it is quite a traumatic experience and in most cases quite stressful. Mm-hmm. And it's so difficult to navigate the health system. So to partner with them when matters the most is really important to us mm. so that's a few things yeah <laughs>
0: just a little bit <laughs> that sounds. just on that last point is that something that sort of came up through research that you had done that actually the retail presence for Medibank is so important that people depend on being able to go to that physical space and actually talk to people yes. about that yeah
2: so one of the things that we have in Medibank is we are very well set up Mm. to understand the feedback that our customers give us. Not only we have six journeys Mm. that have been working for the last probably four years or thereabouts, but we also have those journeys linked to our NPS. So we have the strategic and the operational NPS, and we link that to our journeys So whenever something changes in our journey, whichever of them, we can see the impact it has. And the MPS team collects all this data, which is verbatim from our customers, constantly telling us what works and what doesn't in those specific interactions. So that's the MPS role. All those, you interact with Medibank at whichever point, Mm. and the MPS team will collect what works what didn't, Mm -hmm. how satisfied you are. So that allows us to create a list of every week, the top 10 pain points. And that really informs around what is it that we need to change? What is it that our customers value? And then parallel to that, we have our strategic MPS, Mm -hmm. which is looking at how Medibank performs in the market in comparison to other brands. Mm -hmm. And then, The research done there is more about where do they see us playing and what kind of role they see us playing in that space, Mm. and that's actually setting a little bit the direction for maybe future initiatives. How exciting to have that already set up for you! What that must be a huge luxury.
0: Indeed, to have weekly data that is coming out. So it's data generated from that initially that MPS. score, and then do they go and and collect more qualitative on the back of that, depending on what comes in? Yes.
2: Yes. So, that's the, so to say, quantitative data, and then my team will go and validate all of that Mm. and do the qualitative. We do have a panel of customers that we can... Constantly access. We also have our retail stores in which you can also go and talk to them while they're waiting in the queue. And then also, we just ad hoc reach out to some of them, depending on the segment, just to validate specific areas. So it's quite comprehensive, mm. which is great. yeah And it's quite solid. I think that. A lot of organizations in Australia are setting that up at the moment. Mm. So NPS has been for a while, but how do you link it to your services or to your products so you know and you can make strategic decisions as to where to move, or what initiatives to support, mm. and what is the impact that those initiatives are going to have on your NPS? That's the link that a lot of organizations struggle mm-hmm. with. Yeah, that's so interesting.
0: So so you mentioned that the design team previously, Olga, had been dismantled or Mm -hmm. had left throughout Medibank. So now that you're back to head up this team, what do you want to be different this time and how do you want that in the design team to be seen or the customer experience
2: team really to be seen within the organisation, the big impact? So I would love to partner with the business. For me, it's no one or. It is together. And one of the things that in design thinking is very important is the ability to ask questions, that curiosity, that allows you to understand the other perspective. And my designers have a mandate to do that, <laughs> to understand the business before they just ramp up with whatever initiative, idea, solution, they may think is the adequate one. So you need to understand the other point of view, the circumstances in which they operate, the constraints that they have, all of that information then informs you to be best prepared to support them and make them successful. Mm -hmm. So for me, the design team, it is at this moment not there to create products the experts in creating products is the product team. Mm. But how do you support them by giving them the information that our customers are constantly feeding us Mm. so they understand, not the information because they are clever cookies, Mm. but how do you actually implement? How do you act on it? How do you not lose sight of it because you are driven by the conditions, the constraints and the targets that an organization set? So the first step for the team is to partner. We also have already done a little bit of revamping in our journeys, making them more specific in terms of what are the drivers for the journey? What are the drivers for the customer? What are the moments that really matter to the customer in that journey? And what are the attributes? So when customers say, make it easy, what is it that they mean? Because that is so broad. So those attributes are really important. And sometimes they might not even know. What they may not make it easy. No. Yeah. And sometimes what they want is not what they need. Yeah. You know, the old Henry Ford quote around, if I would have asked my customers, they would have asked for a faster horse yeah. never a car. Yes. So it is that beautiful partnership in which, from the understanding, you can formulate what the next step is.
0: Brilliant. And so so we've talked about the sort of strategic and operational initiatives. What about on the side of you as a team educating the rest of the organisation and potentially lifting the capability across Medibank?
2: Have you got any plans there or is there anything you'd really like to see happen? So we have done a little bit of work doing what I call, we created these method cards, which IDEO has, DS Stanford has, so they are quite useful. But For me, the point in which you are successful is if you are able to create all those tools and fit them in the process, the model, the methodology that that team has. So again, going and through curiosity, understanding their play field, Mm -hmm. and then in that play field, see the opportunity for them to integrate one of those tools. Mm -hmm. So it's content in context. Mm. And then what we do is select one of the projects and once we have explained and done a workshop on those tools, then we create a coaching morning in which they come with the project and we almost coach them, ask them questions. So you give them the skill rather than the answer, Mm. so to say. So for me, the, the method cards are the answer, this is the tool, but you have to still give them the skill. How do you actually get them into the right mindset and knowing when to use one or the other? Mm -hmm. That's really important. Also, our learning and development team is partnering with the Melbourne Business School to roll out a design thinking program, which is part of our talent and thought leadership Mm -hmm. program. So that's also very exciting.
0: <laughs> so on that, both two really great initiatives. On the, the method tools and cards, so that's sort of the tool that you're using and then is it different teams come to you when they have a particular challenge? So you're sort of coaching them on a project that they're currently working on. Is that how it works, something that's relevant to them?
2: Yes. Yeah. So we do, if you want capability, which for me is more like about sharing but there is so much and so good out there. Yeah. You know, if if I was to think and I did put a comprehensive program for NAB in which 40 top leaders went through and that was a massive effort, mm. massive just curating all the documentation that currently exists. So whatever is out there from the Stanford IDO, Coursera has great great courses. To be honest with you, you probably Rarely going to put something that is going to top that. Mm. So for me, it is how do you actually make it real for them? We often go through training and we understand, but design thinking is not something that you learn at a cognitive level. Mm-hmm. You need to get practical, and the questions happen when you implementing. So to me, that bridge between information and knowledge how do we get it from information to absolute knowledge it is integrated it's part of your DNA and it's something that comes naturally that's so interesting
0: I couldn't agree with you more I think it's such an amazing time that we're living in with so much information out there Mm -hmm. and so much that's now creative commons Mm -hmm. it's up to you know I guess individuals or even learning professionals to kind of curate an experience, isn't it? More Mm.
2: than necessarily,
0: completely more than designing anything from scratch.
2: Yes. Again, it's part of what design thinking is. Mm. You know, it's not just you do a cookie cutter. It is about understanding what your needs, Mm. what are the specific things that you want to achieve, and then creating the toolkit Mm. that allows you to get there. And then it's not just a... Okay, well, there is the toolkit, mm. good luck. But it's how do you actually partner mm. with them and take them through that process, building on the knowledge step by step. Yeah, I think that that is when you have something that is not only significant, but it's also sustainable. Mm. It's, you know, it happens that it grows organically, which is exactly what you want to mm. do. Because... Um, For me, design thinking is not something that should happen just in the design team or in a lab or, you know, in level 23 of ANZ. Yeah. It has to happen in the whole organisation to different degrees because everyone has a main core deliverable. Yeah. But it should be part of the toolkit of every single department. absolutely.
0: Yes. Okay, so just staying on that point, yeah, I Honestly, could not agree more. So different teams needing different levels of understanding Mm -hmm. about design thinking depending on what they're working in. So it would be a waste of time for us to put a team that isn't necessarily going to apply this every single day Mm. through a really intensive program and take them out of their kind of day-to-day. What is your view on are there any departments inside large organisations that wouldn't benefit from understanding at a base level design thinking?
2: And when it comes to that, I often use the T model. So whether you have to go wide or whether you have to go deep. And some people will just need to go deep. and Some people only need to understand. So for me, when it comes to our top leaders, I think that it is important that they understand. They are not the ones doing the doing, but it's important that they understand how to lead for creativity. And then operational layer, for me, are the ones that need to understand all the intricacies of how to apply the design thinking. The strategic layer is, for me, the one that needs to know how to lead for creativity, mm-hmm. and the tactical layer, for me, is the one that holds the full string, connecting the two sides, understanding what is the vision that the strategic team is putting, translating that to the Operational layer, so they can really act on it mm. and uh, bringing whatever tool is necessary. Because for me, design thinking is at its core a problem-solving tool. And sometimes you actually don't need to. Sometimes the answer is there, and all mm. you need to do is implementing. Mm. You can implement using a little bit of the design thinking and our lean methodology, in which you prototype and test. Mm but you don't have to go through a full discovery. So for me, the operational team is the one that needs to understand fully to know at which point of entry to go. And even in some cases,
0: just to either lend support Mm. or get out of the way. Yeah. Let teams
2: do what they need to do. Yeah. So if you're not part of the solution, Mm. you are part of the problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And even teams that are not, client-facing, you know, often I talk to some of the, I don't know, finance or, you know, I was talking the other day to our team and they look after all our corporate credit cards and they're like, but, you know, no, you still have customers. It still impacts, still has a knock-on effect. And if anything, your customers are, to some extent, internal. So you, you really still benefit from it.
0: There is no department that doesn't have a customer. That's absolutely correct, isn't it? Because yeah, it's, you know, it, yeah. it's not an obvious externally facing one, it's going to be an internal client. Design yeah. thinking has so much to offer, even just in stakeholder management. Absolutely, in some cases yeah, as
2: well. yeah. And if you think for for that team, and I said to them, you look after the credit card, mm. and I just think of the sales team, and then them going. To a team or to a meeting, and paying with their credit card. Now, the last thing that you want is that person worrying about whether it's going to be working, whether it was paid, whether. So that communication is really important for them to have that peace of mind. Just mm-hmm. as a really silly example. Yeah. So whether you have done everything that it needs to be done for that person to do the overseas or interstate travel knowing that they will have peace of mind, that the company will absolutely look after them and all they have to concentrate on is that meeting and making it a success. Mm. So they do impact the customer and the end result. Maybe not as directly as our sales team will, but definitely they play a role.
0: What do you think, Olga, is the sort of the future design or the future of customer experience? What are sort of big trends that you think we're going to see across organisations in the next few
2: years? Or what would you love to
0: see happen in our organisations?
2: I, w- I would like for organisations to go from, I think that we are very much customer-focused. We do think of the customer. I think that it's that shift between customer-focused and customer-centric, mm-hmm. So, we think of the customer, customer focus. Customer centric is when we put them at the center of every decision that we make. And that's a big shift. So, I would love designers and design thinking to help with that transition, which is really important. For me, I would also like to see it looking internally and to designers how do we go from building artifacts to Building things that really help the organization transition through the different phases. So, how do we make whatever we make really, truly significant and not just an artifact, which is a journey that lives on a world? And I think that there is a lot of talk about this. I was, I think, three months ago invited to a service design conference, and the topic was do we actually have an impact? Mm-hmm. Do we need to actually stop building (laughs) artefacts? Because then that is what we do. So I would love to really integrate and co-create, co-design, and those artefacts really, truly be embedded Mm. into the life and DNA of organisations. Beautiful. Exciting times, yeah. I think that we, we in our way,
0: way there, yeah. That, because that, it takes me on to sort of the next question of, you know, what do you think are the real drivers of sustainable innovation, real innovation inside big organisations who obviously have, you know, the bigger the more bureaucratic they tend to be, mm. or their own challenges, not even necessarily ones that you've worked in, but just across the board. What do you think really creates? opportunities for breakthrough innovation or
2: sustainable innovation. What mm-hmm. so. a question. So there are several things that I'll, I'm just trying to get my ducks on a row. Yeah. Where do I start? <laughs> Such a great question. So I think that if you look at change management mm-hmm. and you do a force field analysis, often what you find is that change happens because external influences push you to do that. And what gets in the way Often it's internal, whether it is the people, the processes, the, whatever that is, is what often gets in the way. I think that competition is so healthy. It keeps you current. It keeps you moving. It keeps you, you know, I often say that if you don't push the barriers to the point of breakthrough, you are not trying hard enough. And I think that that is really exciting. So some of the drivers that kick innovation is, for me, the culture of the organization, the mindset of the people working in the organization. And if you push me, I will say the mindset of our strategic layer, because in a way for me, they are, I call it the thermostat of the organization. (laughs) You Feel it, you don't know where it is. If you look for the thermostat in this room, you probably cannot pinpoint it. We will have to look around and find it. But you certainly feel it. It's cool and the breeze is there. And if it wasn't there, you will want it. So I think that the strategic layer for me is that thermostat. So their mindset is really important. How they promote certain skills, certain initiatives certain ideas, what is the culture that they create is what allows people to really truly be open with their ideas. Be open and looking for different spaces. If you want people to come up with ideas, but their day today is divide between seven projects. And they often start at nine o'clock and finish in at six, six thirty, that there is no opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. There is no time to actually lift their head, look at everything, and come up with ideas, reflection, and time out mm-hmm. to really think about things. We seem to be everyone always in the doing, mm-hmm. and that is hard if you want ideas, good ideas. Because I think that if you run an ideation session, you get about seven different apps. Mm-hmm. You run the same ideation <laughs> session in another company, you get the same apps. Yeah. So if I can tell you how many Tinder apps <laughs> I have created, oh, it's just ridiculous. Tinder for loans. Tinder for <laughs> this—it's like the Tinder concept, you know? You swap and you choose. Great, mm. but I think that that no longer bring us the innovation that we need. Mm. We that bring us the perspective that comes from the influence that we have in the marketplace. Mm. So we need to think truly about what is it that is happening in our organization and think for different ways to solve it. Mm. And often our customers have workarounds that they use yeah. to actually get through all those obstacles. So just the power of observation mm. and questioning is yeah. really
0: important. I think that's two really interesting suggestions. I mean, they're, they're sort of top-down coming from that exact level you're talking about, strategic. They've got the right mindset, they're sending the right message, they're saying all the right things but are actually putting things in place as well mm-hmm. to give people the time and the space to think. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're saying, to step out. Yeah. Which I think the first one, probably a lot of organisations are starting to do that. The second one feels a lot. Slower and a lot more risky because it's kind of like, okay, well, what does that look like? You know, what will that do to my productivity if I'm just giving people the afternoon off?
2: Yes. You know, to... I went to this big conference in which I was I guess, a guest speaker, it's a massive organization, mm-hmm. and there were like three one, one guy was the tech guy, came from the states, had done everything, got all the titles, all the prizes, all the innovative accolades, and then there was the main boss, and after all the guest speakers spoke, the main boss went, that's it. You are now empowered to innovate. And they showed them the company card with your picture and got his, Say this gives you the power to innovate. I want everyone innovating. And I was thinking, well, that's not going to happen, is it? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not that they don't want to, it's that yeah. either they don't have the space. Yeah. Either they don't have the support, either they don't feel, they may need inspiration, you know. Sometimes if you want ideas, you have to look outside. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing organizations are so head down that sometimes you only ideate on what you already know. So it's like regurgitating the same idea with different words. You need to bring the outside in. Mm -hmm. You need to look at organizations in adjacent Industries, you need to look at what is happening in America, in Europe, in Japan. You know, find inspiration. I give you something that um, I was reading not long ago, and it was quite telling. So I was uh, thinking about how do I create inspiration for my team, which is super busy, all new. They don't know each other. They don't know the company. Most of them don't come from health insurance. So I was looking for inspiration for them. And reading through different things, there was this um, article that talked about how great ideas come alive. And this is Steve Johnson. He has a great um, YouTube. And great ideas came alive by colliding two thoughts. So back in the days where Hemingway and all these incredible writers... Yeah. were together, they will go into a cafe mm-hmm. and that was important that social aspect because they will talk about the ideas that they had and those ideas influenced their own ideas. and then great pieces of literature, great pieces of music mm-hmm. came about. Now where are those hubs now? Mm-hmm. and how do you give your team the opportunity to go and go into those hubs? Mm-hmm to hear what other ideas are out there and then come up with that innovation. Mm. I think it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's kind of what makes Silicon Valley mm. Silicon Valley really. Mm. You
0: see that cross-pollinisation of ideas or the openness to sharing ideas and to making introductions and, and new knowledge. Mm. And maybe in some part we probably have that but It's starting to happen more mm. and more here. I mean, even in spaces like co working spaces yes. and things, are starting to get more of that. Yes. But do you think there is an opportunity if we talk about again, you know, what's next in the future? Is there an opportunity for more collaboration between corporates as well? Even corporates that is that are within the same sector. Yes, to be sharing ideas.
2: I mean that that could be something that yes. you know, creates um, that sort of environment, I suppose. I'm um, part of the core team of this um League of Entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and I think that that is a great little gathering in which people from different organizations and many of them in competing and they are competition get together and then they hear the stories they hear what work what doesn't what tools Mm -hmm. they have conversations and it's so important so I think that that is happening but again for me is content in context how Mm. do you make it not just you have to build on it you know Mm. it cannot just be well we get together and we chat it has to be some structure and some growth and some value and for that you need to talk to the members and see what are the current challenges and really come with a focus point for that made up yeah so it doesn't become just there is a social aspect to it but it's also value because Mm. most people it's we are time poor, so we need to make choices. So if you are going to choose to go something like that, there needs to be some sort of value at whichever scale is
0: value for you. So outcomes for those kind of events rather than just talk fests is part of it. And I think, though, even um, for, I guess, the for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. there's less. Risk, if that's the kind of right word, I suppose, from sharing ideas, they you know, even though they might be from competing companies, the sense of competition mm. may not be as fierce as it might be at that higher level. So you know, talking about you know that mindset from execs, even messaging to see from the more strategic level how they're collaborating with different companies and
2: collaborating it's with their clients for new ideas. And things to well. me, the risk is, yeah. I think that we use that word so sparingly mm. that. I don't know if we stop to think about what it is. I mean, if you think about it, sometimes you have an idea and you feel like, oh, I'm not going to say anything <laughs> just in case somebody steal it. Well, chances are that, you know, somebody before you have thought about that, there are a hundreds of ideas, but there are no many people that actually act on the idea. That is the people that take a concept like Facebook from an idea to a reality. So... For me, the risk is sometimes when you talk about it, you realize what works and what doesn't. You realize how incredibly excited you are, and that actually propels you to act on it. So for me, with entrepreneurs, I mean, risk is one of those words that I really want to put some definitions around. So if somebody doesn't feel comfortable sharing, they don't have to. My thinking in those sessions and the mindset that I bring is, how do I facilitate the room, but deliver to the individual. I want them to come to that session and I want them to have a starting point that delivering to the whole room that brings them together. But I want all of them walking away feeling that at some point something was delivered specifically for them. We had about 30 odd people, 38 people on our last one. So it becomes even more important that you are really strategic around how are you going to deliver to those individuals. Mm. So that's the value that they take away. And this is why they will keep coming back. It's the same in these organizations. You know, if you go to a meeting, can you do the same? Can you actually make sure that whatever you say in that meeting is really relevant to the people and that they walk away with a little pearl of some kind of wisdom, whether it came from you or somebody else in the room, because those wisdoms don't necessarily have to come from you. Sometimes giving voice to those quieter ones produces the pearl mm-hmm. that everyone needs. Yeah, that's completely right. Like,
0: I mean, from, from one side, it's how can people get more value out of those kind of interactions, but also feel like they can contribute as well. Mm-hmm. I think we've got time for a couple more questions. Sure. If that's okay. Yeah, so so thinking just staying on that kind of time time and space to innovate being so important, what's your view on the lab model and its success within at different levels within organizations? Do you think it still has a place within organizations or can it run the risk of creating a culture where people think innovation is not necessarily my responsibility. What's been your experience with that?
2: So I'm going to give you my perspective on that. For me, it's not the what, but it's what you do with it. So a lab is not good or bad, but it's what you do with it that makes it good or bad. So if you create a lab and you create separation and you don't integrate To me, that's probably not a very good idea. Now, separation doesn't mean that the lab is situated somewhere else. It's it's not about location. It is about integration of realizing that it doesn't matter that you have the best idea in the world. The people that are going to implement it are the people in the organization. Mm -hmm. The people that are going to have to sell it are the people in the organization. The people that are going to have to support it are in the organization. So... It has to be integrated. So I think that a lab is, and my experience in NAP was that it created the opportunity to see that it was possible, that an organization as old as NAP could actually innovate successfully. I think that NAP Labs was and it's very successful because of the partnerships and the different departments within the NAP Labs. Mm -hmm. So you have your partnerships, you have your strategy, you have all of them in one location. So that co-location, co-creation, collaboration, it is so important. And how you go from experimentation into incubation, into a POC, into implementation, and you bring the organization in. So... NAP Labs was successful and it is successful because whatever they do, they do it with the rest of the organization. So the BAs are from the organization. The experiment owner is from the organization. The sponsor is from the organization. There is partnerships with risk, legal, marketing, HR. And we have change managers living with The nap last so I think that that talks about true immersion. Now, doesn't mean that there is no constraints and difficulties, but you iterate. So, for me, it's always about what is the one percent that you can do. Sometimes we want to solve for the whole thing, but let's just give that first step is the hard one. Once you make the first step, the rest almost you know inertia takes over so i think it's great initiatives whichever you know you have to start somewhere Mm -hmm. whatever makes sense for the organization the important thing is that you have the open mindset to realize that you need to stand back and service design yourself and say Mm -hmm. "Mm, how do we iterate how do we make it better how do we what is working what is not and how do we change it so if you do that you constantly evolve in mm. and you constantly improve it. So I love the love model. Mm. I do. Yeah. It's, it's kind not of what really, it is, it's what you do with it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's really... Absolutely. It's not what it is, it's what you do with mm. it. Yeah. Thank you. You made it sound so better. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you <really> started.
1: <laughs> So yeah, just I guess leading on from that as well,
0: so organisations who may not have um, or maybe not, not be at the level of maturity that NAB is at mm. with the labs and other initiatives that are going on, what would you suggest to potentially smaller organisations or ones that are at the beginning of their journey as a key first step, something you wouldn't overlook if they really want to bring more innovative culture into the organisation?
2: So I probably start by listening to the customers and co-creating with them. So if you do an ideation session, bring customers in. Now, don't be scared. They often love sharing don't, different perspectives. So you have to make sure that there are different perspectives in the room. So whether it is you invite partners or external companies, whoever, but broaden your perspective, so you actually have really meaty ideas, and then act on one. Don't spend too much time looking the feasibility, viability, and desirability. Just choose one that is desirable, mm-hmm. and then quickly do the MVP, mm-hmm. and then see how people react to it, and then iterate on it and learn from that. Have time to reflect, get your teams to reflect, and then empower them. I think that when you do that, you give them the opportunity to really take innovation into their own hands. Mm -hmm. And you want that, because you want the people in front line to tell you what customers are saying. You want your technical team to tell you what systems work and don't, and what are the complaints that they often hear. Mm You want your product team to tell you what new products are developed anywhere else that we should be considering, which ones are being obsolete because they really don't have the traction that they used to have. So you want all of that together, all those views, all that knowledge, you want to packet it all together, put it in a cocktail, mix it all, (laughs) and see what comes out and trust the process. You know, the worst thing that can happen is that you get it wrong, but the impact will be small if you take it to that MVP. And you will learn so much in the process, so much. So um, do it. <laughs> just, that, that would be, for me, just do Stop. it. And when it comes to risk, which I hear all the time, just think, what is the risk of not doing it? Mm-hmm. And where that leaves me and my organization actually
0: taking the risk out of it by doing it this way. I just had this most amazing image of some kind of Olga's yes. innovation cocktail meme. Set <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <That's good laughs> with that knowledge that, yeah. and an umbrella <laughs> in a pretty glass. Yeah. Set it up. Absolutely.
0: So I love it. That's brilliant. And it's that's so I mean anyone can do that, whether you've got a company of five yeah. people, yeah. that can be a weekly practice or a
1: yeah, company yeah. of
0: five hundred. So brilliant. Okay, so the last question, what would you say anyone who is really serious about innovation should be reading or watching mm. at the moment?
2: There are so many books out there. Mm. Anything that comes from IDEO, anything that comes, I mean, there are some great thinkers out there. So whatever you read will be good. What is important is that you don't just read one author. So don't just read what IDEO puts out there. Don't just read what Professor Letgar has got out there. Just make sure that you have a wide perspective and you create your own model. So out of what you're reading, what really resonates for you at this time in these circumstances? And fiss it out, write it down. And when you read something else, again, go through the same process. Resonated with me? How do I link it to what resonated before? Mm -hmm. And if you do that and extract whatever resonates, before you know, you have this one pager with all these concepts that start making sense, that start fitting like a puzzle, and it becomes your own way of innovating because everybody is different. Everybody has different skills. So it's not so much about innovation. Let's do it, but start by what are my skill sets? Where do I start with what skill sets? And then what do I need to incorporate in my toolkit? Mm-hmm. And how do I achieve with the current skill set the innovation outcome that I want? And start from there, your personal. Then read, ask people that you admire what they're reading. And why are they reading it? Because just because they read it doesn't mean that it's right for you. Just be curious. Have conversations. There is so much out there. So much. Do courses. Talk to people. Observe. The power of observation. And whatever you read, again, concentrate on how much of it you can act. I think we've become a little bit obsessed with information, information, information. But... We only act on maybe 3% of what we know. Mm. So if we were to stop and act more, so stop learning and just act on what you already know and then complement it, then you get the big incremental. It's like leapfrog. So great books out there. Mm. But practical learning is what you're saying. Yes, put it into practice. Don't just stop in the reading. Mm-hmm. Do something with it. Mm-hmm. Even if it is writing the idea, concept, model that resonated with you, just take a pen, put it in writing. And now and again, look at it. See, you will find a way to apply. It will come. Just have to trust the process. We are incredible machines and we operate in mysterious ways. and And I believe that everything that you acquire, it becomes useful at a certain point. You just have to be patient and be in flow, be in the process. Just take it as it comes and write along. Enjoy
0: the journey. Yes, (laughs) it's a beautiful one. It's a journey of learning. Thank you so much, Olga, for joining us on the Naked Innovation Podcast. It was so wonderful to talk to you and I'm sure that listeners will have learned so much from you along with this podcast if it's okay with you we'll include the link to your linkedin profile so history sure. there as well and potentially get in touch there's been a lot in this so thank you so much pleasure. and we hope to speak with you again soon
2: pleasure absolute pleasure thank you for having me